Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. In this week's episode, Mount Vernon President and CEO Dr. Douglas Bradburn will sit down with John Kukla to discuss his book, Patrick Henry, Champion of Liberty. Now, just to let you know, uh, our June 13th forward evening book talk with Colin Calloway, uh, there are still tickets available for that, and Dr. Calloway will be discussing his book, The Indian World of George Washington. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on social media at GW Books, and if you are so inclined, please be sure to uh, review this podcast if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, uh, I guess you can also review it. Uh, and without further ado, Dr. Doug. So welcome. It's Thank Doug you. Bradburn here at, at uh, George Washington's Mount Vernon. I'm joined by John Kukla. Glad to be here. John, welcome back to the library, the Presidential Library for George Washington here. A cool place. And we're going to have a a chance to talk about your fantastic new book, Patrick Henry, Champion of Liberty. Okay. Uh, Who published it? Simon & Schuster. It was was the first quiz. You are correct. It was (laughs) Simon & Schuster. That's fantastic. Now, uh, John is a well-known historian uh, and has had tremendous success as a writer of fantastic books, including... Mr. Jefferson's Women, mm-hmm. A Wilderness So Immense, The Louisiana Purchase and the Destiny of America. Yep. Uh, let's see. You have a BA from Carthage College, upstate New York. Yeah. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. I should know this because I'm from Racine, Wisconsin, which we, uh, right, we've talked right, about in the right, past. Right. Why am I thinking what well, Carthage is in upstate? Well, there is, there is a... I think there's a town called Carthage. Uh, up there yes, somewhere. yes. That's it. There is. You're right. It's all those. Uh, it's all that time in Binghamton when they froze yeah, your well, exactly. Fro- froze parts of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then MA and PhD from the University of Toronto. Yeah. Interesting choice. Why go to Canada for your PhD? I uh, I had a really good you were time. Run away from the draft. I, no, no. Uh, I was up there on a student, you know, deferment, whatever, whatever that was. Uh, <laughs> no, I had a, I had a really good time in college. Mm-hmm. And so um, th- there were uh, there were there were some really prestigious grad schools in this mm-hmm. country that I wouldn't have gotten into, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but uh, Toronto was interesting, and um, they offered me a, a teaching assistantship and a fellowship coming right out of school, right. and uh, and and frankly, in 1970, it was it was really interesting to look at a. Um, a, a, a North American English-speaking country um, that hadn't experienced the revolution. Right. There's all kinds of. I'd be I'd be hard pressed to put, you know, specifics to that. But there are all kind of subtle differences that uh, that that you that you that you see it. So it's really it's really a. I mean, Canada is a fascinating place. You know. Do you? So what effect did the revolution have on Canada? I mean, it certainly. Well, I mean, it, it created right? Ontario. Yeah. You know, yeah. basically the the province of Ontario with with uh, uh, I mean, if if Grant Wood had done Canadian paintings, it would have been the United Empire loyalists. You mm-hmm. know, so they, yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and as as the the, the folks and um, and then uh, uh, it's it's kind of defined um, Canadian nationalism is sort of defined in in, in its resistance to the Great Republic to mm-hmm. the South. And yeah. that's kind of that's that's a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, that is that is intriguing yeah. for yeah. sure. Uh, and the other thing, frankly, that that that, that, that I'm really grateful. I, I didn't know this. You, you don't know these things when you go off to grad school, but um, Toronto has a really strong tradition of. Uh, uh, f- frankly, of economic 
history. There was a guy named uh, Harold Innes that really sure, established yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, and, and the fur trade. Yeah, the right? fur trade, the exactly. Yeah. And and what's trade. interesting about Innes is that is that his uh, he was interested in, in the fur trade and in communications. One of his students is Marsh at Toronto was Marshall McLuhan. Okay. Yeah. You know, it all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is this is pretty neat, pretty neat. And the other and the other the other major student of his uh, student uh, student of his was uh, um, Donald Creighton, mm-hmm. who had sort of the nationalist. It, it's it's Canada's equivalent of. Of Turner's frontier thesis. Okay, it's called yeah. the Laurentian thesis, and the and the theory is that what keeps what makes Canada a nation is this long trade connection up the St. Lawrence River and then through the lakes and all that sort of stuff up into the fur trade uh, across the Atlantic to England, and it's that kind of nexus of mm-hmm. of trade communications navigation whatever transportation that's what that's what makes the place a that's what makes the place a country and then the where, where this gets really really interesting i think uh, is that um, it it explains the canadians absolute passionate love for their railroad mm. you know mm-hmm. when i was in toronto in the 70s there was a uh, there was a um, uh, one for, volume one of a history of the Canadian Pacific Railroad that was on the top of the bestseller list. Wow! Until it got knocked off by volume two. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know. So That's anyway, a it's, a, it's a it's it's yeah, it's a cool. It's so a, that would have been right around the time that Americans were reading a lot of books on the bicentennial of the revolution, right? I mean, yeah. you were there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So who did you work with at Toronto? I, I worked with a guy named William H. Nelson, who yeah. wrote the book on the American Tory. Yeah, exactly right, Bill Nelson. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so, you, but you didn't work on Tories. You worked on 17th century Virginia, didn't you? Well, I started out actually working on the ratification. Okay. And I was interested in. I'd gotten interested in Virginia when I was an undergrad in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and then um, I was pretty pretty deeply enmeshed in the 18th century um, as a research field. Right. I'd, I'd done mostly British actually in, as an undergrad, uh, and then. Um, uh, but I got interested in the in the men who opposed the Constitution in Virginia, the Anti-Federalists. The irony of is that you know here here I've now written a biography of of Patrick Henry. Yeah, the most important one, absolutely. Yeah, Patrick yeah, really, Henry. really. Was. So was that your first? Uh, that was your first attraction to Patrick Henry back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, I can still remember going into uh, the excitement that I felt. I've I've had a in my whole career. I've had a passionate. Belief in using primary sources, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I went to uh, use the Draper papers at the uh, University of Wisconsin, and uh, was turning through these things. And here's Patrick Henry is a very distinctive signature. And all of a sudden, I turn this page, and there's this Henry letter P. Henry, yeah. with the, the big P. Henry. It's not quite it's not quite John Hancock, but it's <laughs> close. You know, it's a very distinctive sort of style. Yeah. Uh, Washington has the same. You know, it's a very distinctive uh, uh, signature. And uh, I just feel, wow. This, I mean, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about primary sources is that, you know, you're, when you're allowed to handle the paper, it's the same sheet of paper. It's mm. the same, you know, it, it, it's, to me it just, it, it, uh, it, it just leaps across the, the, the decades and the centuries to give you a kind of contact with the people you're trying to understand and write about. Well, it's evocative, like being at a place like Mount Vernon or Red Hill, where you, yeah. you're at a place where people yeah. 
you know, have been in a lot of different contexts over a long period of time. Yeah, it definitely yeah. has um, something to it. Yeah. So you uh, you went to the Library of Virginia at some point and yeah, primary I, sources. I, what I did is I, I um, figured this was uh, 1973. I finished the residence for the doctorate, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to where the sources were, mm-hmm. and so went to Richmond um, and uh, found work working as a and a, a editorial assistant to the state archivist on this little project that they had going on, and that's what got me into the 17th century. Cause okay, because that, yeah. that, that's yeah, and that's where that's where you we came to know one another. In, yeah, in, right. In that, in that scholarship. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you did tremendous work in sort of the in the Colonial Records Project, uh, the yeah. Virginia Colonial Records Project, yeah. and yeah. trying to organize that. And you really wrote the book on. Well, I, uh, I, that I, I incredible yeah. collection. Of, yeah, of, it's marvelous stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. I used, I used to joke that you could, you know, you could go in, spend Saturday morning in the British Museum, and then be home for lunch. You know, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's really it's a terrific collection. But what it, what had happened is it's just one of these fluky things yeah. um, in life. Um, I was I happened to be hired to work on a project that two guys in the legislature wanted which was for the bicentennial coming mm-hmm. up. They wanted a list of all the members of the General Assembly. Okay, that's, you know, ultimately we published. For, we oh, published forever, it. right. Forever, yes. going back to 1619. Yeah, right. And then, and then the thing that they wanted, they wanted to have a plaque on the wall of the House of Delegates chamber yeah. with the names of the speakers, right? Okay, sure. And, yeah. and, and, and there, were, there was like a gap mm-hmm. because you've got John Pory in 1619 and then nobody's, nobody's a speaker. <laughs> so, I, so my job was, and I read microfilm eight hours a day for like six weeks, mm-hmm. um, looking for county the missing records. speakers. Where, and then, where? I mean, I guess the Burgess records. Oh, some county records, uh, but a lot of British, you know, the yeah, of colonial uh, records stuff project missing, stuff and so yeah. on. And uh, and so I so I did all of this. I mean, looking at it, and and I couldn't couldn't find any. Yeah. Uh, and then it like dawned on me what, uh, that basically that the uh, that the General Assembly, as it was established in 1619, which is an anniversary that's coming up next year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was was unicameral? The governor, the counselor, and the elected Burgesses right. all met together. Yeah. So then, so then the question is: Okay, so how come in 1643 there's a speaker? And that's what got me interested in the 17th century because right. basically I decided that well, it must now be they must be beating separately. How does that work? And then I looked at uh, you know what would be the motives to yeah. have this happen, and then that led me to kind of reconstruct a, a, a political system. And 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 then it was it was only after I'd done that and and basically wrote it up that I started looking around in the secondary literature and to realize that I wasn't supposed to have been able to find this right. because it was all <laughs> anarchy and chaos. You know, that's right. so that's yeah. that that's what you, yeah. yeah that's that that's what that's what led to that uh, right. uh, American Historical Review article yeah. that. Uh, you know, it's been it's been I must say it's been really fascinating um, of, of in late years, these past few years, because I, I I start meeting young guys like you mm. who 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 read that when they're in grad school. Oh, yeah. And, and, and a lot of, you know, I, I keep hearing from a lot of people that, uh, yeah. you know, there's there's one guy that teaches at, at VMI who he says, you know, this this came out just as I was tackling my dissertation and it changed everything. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of neat to be a hero to <laughs> six or eight young scholars, you know. Well, absolutely. You're a trailblazer for sure. Yeah. Um, 
So, so how did you get to Red Hill and get into the, the public I had, history uh, side? I'd gotten I'd gotten hired away from the Library of Virginia in uh, in um, uh, what was it, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got hired away to run the historic New Orleans collection. Um, right, okay. and and so I That's was right. doing that. That's Louisiana, yeah, yeah and okay. and I and I left that position in '98, uh, about I think that's about right. Um, to, uh, um, uh, you know, I what do they say? College presidents, six-year terms. That's what you know. It was <laughs> it was just time to it was time to hang it yeah. up. And yeah. uh, um, so basically, um, I was lucky enough to talk to. Uh, a friend's um, a literary agent, and uh, basically got a contract to write a book about the Louisiana Purchase, right. which is which, which, which is basically my, you know, I was perplexed in New Orleans trying to figure out how this very interesting place related to the 18th century, you right. know, uh, East Coast world, world that, that I you, really yeah, knew. knew yeah. And and so in, in a lot of ways, the 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 Louisiana Purchase book is a uh, is my answer to you know how what how that connection worked. So that book is called The Wilderness So Immense, and it was yeah. a prize winning book. It's a very important book. Uh, why don't you answer that question? So how does that uh, relate to the well, 18th it, century world of the East Coast of the Anglophone world? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, there, this may not be entirely complimentary to the uh, to the to the president and his secretary of state at that time, but there is a sense in which the, they certainly uh, saw the Louisiana Purchase as a Greater Virginia movement, mm-hmm. um, uh, almost in the sense that we'd talk about a Greater Yugoslavia kind of thing, right? right. You know, uh, they part of it. I mean. It, the, the the key thing, of course, was that uh, Virginians had a lot of interest in in the West and the Ohio country, right. and basically, um, as well, Jefferson also the put, south the Southwest by that point too, right? Yeah, they were well, increasingly starting I to mean, move to, I mean, Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah, they were, but but the but the Ohio country's critical because, yeah. of course, you got to have the yeah, you, you got to have the river. Mm-hmm. The, the Ohio River is no good if you if you can't yeah. change you know change change from barges to ocean-going vessels at New Orleans. And so, uh, so that's what it was, you know, that's what, that's what it was all about. Right. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, the, so they, they end up buying, you know, buying this huge tract of, uh, of land in order basically to get the port of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it worked out well. Well, United in States. the long run, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, is that what got you interested in Mr. Jefferson when you were looking at that uh, transaction? Uh, you know, yeah, you I think it was. Famously wrote the Mr. Jefferson's Women book. Yeah, well, what happened is I was uh, I was talking with a friend one time, and and um, and I thought, you know, I might when it, it was I was listening. In fact, I was talking with a friend as we were listening to Annette Gordon Reed and some others talk about the DNA uh, mm-hmm. testing. Mm-hmm. And so this would be about ninety nine. And as, as, as you say, at the time, I was just immersed in writing the Louisiana Purchase book. And so I figured um, that um, I was, I, I'd said to the friend, um, you know, we won't really know much about, we can't really get this Hemings relationship straight unless we knew more about Jefferson and the other women in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I just, you know, but I've got this Louisiana Purchase book to work on. So I figured once the Louisiana Purchase book was out of my hair, that I would go 
to the library and get the book on Jefferson and women because surely there was such a book. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the, the, the bibliography. Je- yeah, yeah it, it, you know, Jefferson and, and his and his copying machines, Jefferson and wine, Jefferson. You know, it, exactly. And I and and there wasn't. Yeah, know, interestingly, I don't think there's a book on George Washington and women either. Interesting. You know, I uh, we're are, we have a symposium in the fall here at Mount Vernon. We have two symposia every year with academic speakers and a public audience. One is in the spring called the Mount Vernon Symposium in which we look at decorative arts and uh-huh. art and architecture uh, and gardening and landscape. And then the one in the, in the fall is about George Washington and his world. Uh-huh. And this uh, year in as a kickoff to the big, you know, the big uh, suffragette movement. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're doing yeah. George Washington and women and, and his women in a sense. Not, cool. you know, we're, we're yeah, yeah, different yeah. speakers are going to talk about different women, you know, everybody from right. uh, Oni Judge to Martha to True. You know, Sally, uh, Sally Fairfax. Many and, others. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so that book, uh, the Jefferson and His Women, which, who was the trickiest woman to write about? You know, actually, the, the, I think in many ways, the trickiest woman. Um, was uh, was the wife of his friend John Walker? Because oh, the guy was that the woman that he had gotten that, that he the, was hitting on. He basically. Was, yeah, he proposed. He, he positioned, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I I keep thinking um, um, I could do a you know hashtag Jefferson two article mm. uh, on that. And it's been interesting. But it, but interesting it, is that. Um, uh, you know, there, there's all. I mean, the, the debate about Jefferson and Sally Hemings has been going hot and heavy for, for for a long time. And I don't know and if it's much of a debate anymore. Not any, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's. Um, I think they're putting in her bedchamber at Monticello now. I mean, they've got. Yeah, yeah, they've they've, they've, they've recovered her room. Space yeah, a, which a, which is which is yeah. really cool because it's it's about where I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I went up to you know just pouring over. Yeah. Things to see whether you could figure out that stuff, right. but uh, yeah, it's a uh, um, Mrs. Mrs. Walker basically was uh, um, uh, what she, but he was he was hitting on her mm-hmm. while his wife while his uh, while her husband was up in uh, in New York. Not um, good. It's not a good not look, good, John. No. And then and then um, you know it's the 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 documents that uh, that his his most. Ex- um, what explicit commentary about this doesn't survive? Mm. What we have is the cover letter to the commentary. Really? Yeah, yeah. But the, What's the, the, where's the thought there? You think somebody purged it later? Or I think it might have happened. It's yeah. you know I've tried to track it down. It's 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 been in various or or the 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 cover letter, uh, which people you know. Uh, have seen and and I think there's even an uh, uh, w- there's one I've seen a copy that's attested by John Marshall as to being an accurate copy and that's mm. so that one's that one's around but whatever the it, it refers to an enclosure and mm. and it must have been and it seems to have been some uh, some kind of uh, some kind of statement or whatever that was handed around with Jefferson's, just with Jefferson's cronies. Yeah, what, what was the point of it? Was he trying to correct, to win, correct his I think reputation? To, or? To, 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 I guess, maybe to win their confidence okay. or win back their confidence. I don't know. Yeah. yeah so here's yeah. the real story of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, so let's get to Patrick Henry. Okay. Now, you, were, you just spoke about you know, your ability to get to sources and use sources. Uh, Patrick Henry's sources are very hard to get at, aren't they? 
Yeah, and the the funny thing, that, Doug, is that uh, ten years ago I would not have thought I'd ever write this book. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, um, was when we were talking with with Simon Schuster, um, I had a different book in mind. Yeah, what was that? I was going to. I was. I, it was just a, the coming of the revolution. Yeah, yeah, Virginia yeah. and the coming of the revolution, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to try to use Henry as a kind of a recurring figure because he's right. there for everything. Yeah. Um, uh, from from the beginning all the way through, and. Uh, and then about uh, after I'd, I'd, I had 30 chapters on that book done, I turned them into my editor and get this message from my uh, from my uh, agent that the editor isn't happy. Mm. It turns out that we we were completely at cross purposes in terms of what book he was expecting right. and what what I was writing. So uh, so the, I didn't want to write a biography. Yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't want to write a biography because I didn't think they needed another one. Right. And I didn't think there was all that much new to say about yeah, Henry as a, life. As, a, yeah. as a life, yeah. Um, in the process of doing the other book, one, I found a whole bunch of Henry stuff that you can't, that, that wasn't out there before. Right, right. Um, um, and then uh, Kevin Hayes is um, right, you know, actually on, his library, on, yeah. Henry's, on Henry's library, which, which, yeah. I, which I actually uh, prodded Kevin to do okay. uh, way back when. Good. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, that, that really gave some documentation of the fact that Henry could not only could read, but did read. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and then... Because I was, you know, not only finding new documents, um, largely because um, um, manuscripts catalogs are now accessible on the Internet in a way that hadn't been the case 30 years ago or whatever. Um, But not only that, I'd also, uh, because I was looking at at this kind of group activity of, of the coming of the Revolution of Virginia, I now saw Henry in working in relationship to other other guys, they all, virtually all guys, but, you know, I saw him working in, rea- in, 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 in relationship to other people in ways that give you insight into what's going on mm-hmm. that you don't get if you're just trying to, you know, set out to write a biography. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, so there's all kinds of, you know, sort of new, new takes on, on, frankly, some familiar events yeah. um, in the, you know, in the revolutionary history of, of, of Virginia that, uh, that look different uh, to me as a result of uh, seeing, you know, Henry's interact. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah, I was going to say, let's yeah. get to one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, every, everybody in every Henry, um, Henry biographer has quoted the, the, the comment that Jefferson made into a letter, in a letter to, Henry, to uh, Madison, rather, uh, in the mid-1780s. Uh, Jefferson's in Paris, you know, they, they correspond and it gives us this rich um, documentation, at least of their take on what's happening and stuff. And there's this, there's this comment that Jefferson makes about Henry. Madison had complained about Henry in a previous letter. And Jefferson says, well, you know, we, uh, uh, unfortunately, all we can do is devoutly pray for his death. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa. And I, so I say, you know, what, what's, what led to that? Yeah, because uh, nobody's nobody's ever asked you know what led to it aside from saying you know Jimmy Madison complained and mm-hmm. Tom said this you know mm-hmm. uh, well it turns out what it, it it turns out that what was going on is Je- uh, Madison was pushing this this hobby horse that he and Jefferson had complain they, they believed that the Constitution of Virginia the uh, Constitution of seventeen seventy six in Virginia was was illegitimate because right. it had not been ratified by the voters. Right, it was just approved by it the convention. It was just approved yeah. by the convention. 
Um, and, uh, and so what Madison had done is the citizens of Augusta County, which is just over the Blue Ridge, mm-hmm. had petitioned the legislature to asking, the, Augusta doesn't grow tobacco. Or didn't it? Well, still don't. But uh, they, they, at that time, what they drew, grew was was hemp for um, mm-hmm. not not for smoking, but for you know fabric yeah, and right. rope, rope and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, and so what they wanted was they wanted they wanted a, a legislation that would enable them to pay their taxes in quantities of hemp. Um, like others did in tobacco mm-hmm. in, in other and uh, and then at the end of this petition, they say, and you know essentially there's some pretty general language about uh, and and keep doing good things for the republic and the Commonwealth and yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Madison takes that petition and in a committee report, turns it into a condemnation of the fact that the Constitution had not been legitimate, right? Well, yeah. and, and it's a completely twisted thing, uh, you know, kind of taking this opportunity to, to, to you know, ride his hobby horse. People, you, yeah. yeah, and invoke, invoke the, the, uh, the petitioners from, from Augusta County is mm. in, in his, in his, uh, on, on his agenda. The legislature trounces his report, rejects yeah. the report. They even go so far as to pass a resolution saying, "Don't bring this up again." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what. It, so that's what he's describing to, Jeff, okay. to, to Jefferson, and that's when Jefferson responds as, as he did. And you know, I, I, the, the coda that we should point on, put on this is, is that their their belief that the Constitution was uh, was was illegitimate is one contradicted by all the actions of the um, counties that sent people to that convention. That's right. It was the a first unique place. convention. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah, a normal yeah. Process. And then, and then, ultimately, yeah. when uh, when St. George Tucker writes his big treatise yeah. on on yeah, Virginia law, Virginia he just law. puts it puts puts an end to it. So, yeah. so it's just this. But it, but but everybody who reads notes on the state of Virginia, you can still see the. You know, still see that uh, that complaint that uh, that was they, Jefferson were made. Jefferson and Madison. Did they have an idea to to try to have a new convention, a new constitution? I mean, Jefferson yeah, that's, has one in the that's, in the notes. You know, yeah, that that's part that's, of that? that's that's what that's what they were okay. wanting to you know rewrite it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you some basic questions then about okay. the revolution in Virginia. What is the pistol fee controversy? Pistol fee is is the seventeen fifties when. Um, uh, Governor Dinwiddie, by his own fiat, um, announces that in any time that he has, has to sign something and put the seal of the common of the colony on it, that he's going to collect uh, 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 that fee of okay. one pistol, which yeah. is a which is a Spanish pistole uh, something. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's it's roughly I think it's like roughly the same value as a guinea, so it's a little bit more than a pound. And, well, so what was Henry's role in this? Henry story? Henry wasn't. Um, this was just before Henry was before active. He kind of yeah, comes but into the but what's scene. significant is what the way there is a there is a connection, and the and the, and the connection is that one of the principal opponents of the pistol fee is Richard Bland. Okay, right. and then and then of course Richard Bland um, and and the and the and the issue in the pistol fee was whether or not the governor could um, essentially implement a tax yeah. w- without the legislature and and. Uh, and uh, it, frankly, it's going on in wartime, 
And so basically the, uh, the British authorities sort of are perfectly happy to see this, see this controversy die down after Dinwiddie away. leaves. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but, but that's, that's, the first, um, that's the first contest. And then the second, so the that second kind of one. primes the bump for you know, resistance to. It, to yes, things. yes. And it's clearly, you know, it, it clearly shows the legislature of, of Virginia uh, being very jealous of the executive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. And, 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 the, and the crown official who's trying to pull a fast one as far as they're concerned. And so you were about to say what the next one well, the, was. The, the, the next, the the next one, one is a Parsons cause. Yes. And then yeah. what you've got there is a, is, a, is, a, is a, there were a couple of bad crop years. And so there were, the harvests were poor in 1756 and 58. And the legislature passed temperature, temporary um, legislation uh, allowing people to pay their, or allowing vestries to pay their ministers uh, in, um, in, in, in money rather than in quantities of tobacco mm-hmm. because the quantities of tobacco, the prices had at least tripled in most right, cases. Right. So, the, uh, <laughs> so the ministers had complained about this. But, but interestingly, instead of, instead of trying to get the legislature to change the law or, or even lobbying against the law, basically uh, they, they took their complaint to the Bishop of London who took it to the... Um, um, the colonial office, and all of a sudden, and 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 right out of the box is accusing the Virginians of treason, mm. Um, mm. and so what 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 you get is this is this argument, and there's all kinds of pamphlet literature and newspaper essays going back and forth and stuff, and uh, and um, uh, and then in in the, in Henry's case, um, one of the ministers brings suit for back pay and. And Henry, Henry gets involved and essentially gets, it's actually jury nullification because he should be, he should be getting uh, 288 pounds, which is a heck of a lot of money, uh, pounds sterling, uh, and instead he gets a farthing, uh, uh, yeah. you know, and... Um, and that's uh, his summation, uh, that's his summation. Jimmy Death. Well, that, yeah. that, no, that comes later. This, this is... Uh, which one is it though? Is it, is it the treason one? No, that's later. Well, this, right? yeah, this is this is the first time that he gets used of treason. Yeah. Uh, Caesar Brutus speech he gets, right. and, and 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 the Caesar Brutus speech is in the Stamp Act, and the yeah. the point the point of talking about the Parsons cause is that uh, all the issues. That um, that the Parsons Clause raise in terms of the legislative the autonomy, issues, all those constitutional issues, issues transfer immediately, and yeah. so the Parsons Clause is is uh, Henry's making his arguments in 1763, um, yeah. and then um, you know 1765 the Stamp Act, yeah. and it all transfers, and and that's why. Virginia um, looks like it's way out front in terms of its uh, opposition to the Stamp Act because yeah. it's been primed for it. Yeah, yeah, it's really a remarkable sequence that you describe, and, and you know, and I think the book begins with the episode of Henry's death, where he leaves the resolution yeah, yeah. of the Stamp Act. Yeah, yeah. His Stamp Act resolves, which yeah. go on to light this fire up and down the coast. So, yeah, what, yeah. What tell talk a little about that moment, um, the Stamp Act resolves. It. What do you well, think you've added to that story? One of the things that, that one of the things that I did to the Stamp Act story uh, is that there's a uh, there's there's a um, diary basically that's kept by a, 
uh, we all visiting like a visiting. Yeah, when, everybody thought it was a French or, traveler. Okay, right. Uh, yeah. And and now it's actually been identified that we uh, we the, there's a, a grad student at uh, one of Reese Isaac's grad students at, mm-hmm. U, at William and Mary who who uh, identified the guy. He's a he's a, basically he's a Madeira salesman from uh, the Azores or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, who was touring the touring the the uh, the Americas, uh, and so the. What what basically has happened is that for a very long time, um, he he happened to be in Williamsburg listening when Henry gave the Caesar Brutus speech, right, right. Uh, and so we've got a you know we've got his little record of that gets quoted all the time, but no, nobody then follows. I mean nobody nobody was writing about this. They would would then follow the rest of his trip as he as he was basically going from. Williams, he had started down in Georgia, and so he's going north, and he, he's going from Williamsburg, he goes over to Annapolis, mm. and, event, and eventually ends up in, in, in Philadelphia. I don't think he, I think maybe he goes to New York and then back to, to Europe. But, um, but, but basically, after witnessing the Caesar Brutus speech and the passage of the Virginia Resolves, he's He's traveling as these resolves get spread, uh, right, and, yeah. and it's like so. He's it's like if you throw a you know stone in a pond and yeah, you follow the ripples. The ripples. Yeah. Well, he's he's, he's a water strider, yeah. you know, going with the ripples yeah, and reporting on the way in which you know he's in Annapolis at such and such a dinner, and they toast to the Virginians and stuff like that. And so you really get a you really get a picture of the way in which those resolves. Um, uh, just be, they got adopted everywhere, and and the way in which they, they and the played most radical the ones were never really passed, right? Or they were passed and then yeah. healed or something. Yeah. Like what that. what happened is he, Henry apparently had um, he had seven resolves, mm-hmm. and they got increasingly um, right. radical. Yeah. Um, and he was able to he he introduced them in the House of Burgesses one by one, and the fifth one won by uh, it was was carried by only one vote. Uh, and then the next day they rescinded it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the governor made basically leaned on the uh, on the newspaper editor, um, who among other things had contracts for government right. printing. Yeah. Um, leaned on him to keep them from getting published in the in the Virginia Gazette. So the resolves are never published in the Virginia Gazette. Hmm. Um, but what happens is all seven of them. Get, get sent out. places, yeah. and so they get published in Rhode Island and mm. in Maryland, and 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 then, frankly, all up and down the East Coast, these things are. And then, in many cases, um, colonial legislatures in these other colonies yeah. ad- adopt either either verbatim or or similar kinds of things, and so it really it really helps fuel the the yeah. what the constitutional thinking about the Stamp Act. Uh, one of the things I think you do really well in the book is Henry and the religion. Mm, uh, you know, it's hard for uh, many historians to, nowadays to bring religion in in a way. Uh, I think that that is true to the subject and the times without yeah, yeah. You know, getting engaged in all kinds of other issues. What's the main takeaway for somebody who wants to understand the role of religion and religious thinking or spirituality in, in Henry's story? Well, Henry um, grew, up a, uh, uh, grew up an Anglican, um, and, but he was... He was always his, his his dad was a vestryman in the Anglican Church. His yeah. uncle is a is a, is a uh, uh, an Anglican minister, but his mother was a follower of Samuel Davies, the Presbyterian evangelist, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
Um, and as a result, uh, Henry would go listen to Davies. So he, he has this um, remarkable tolerance toward um, religious diversity. Um, and and there's, a, there's, a, there's also a curious uh, sense in which um, both his father and his uncle, uh, because they were uh, Scots immigrants, uh, basically, they were Anglicans, which was the minority, uh, you know, denomination in Scotland, uh, uh, where where the Presbyterian Kirk was was yeah. prevailed. But uh, so so Henry has this he has this personal kind of um, tolerance of religious diversity, and uh, and this gets I don't know word gets out of this or something. But basically, he in the 1770s um, when when um, a particular sect of Baptists in Virginia were being persecuted. These were the people, they called themselves the Independent Baptists. Mm-hmm. And basically what had, what had happened is uh, under Samuel Davies, a lot of the dissenting religions uh, or dissenting denominations had basically made, made peace with the governor, uh, with the government of, of Virginia and, and its established Anglican church by agreeing to register their meeting houses mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. You know, just for good order. You know that sort of that sort of notion. But uh, these these independent Baptist guys, they love. They didn't want to cooperate with the government, even to tell where their meetings houses were. Mm-hmm. And and there's a part of their psyche that is basically like, um, if I get persecuted, I'm be. You know, I'm. It's like it's like being crucified. It's like being. I'm Paul. I'm. Mm-hmm. You know. And and, and so uh, right. so, so they kind of they kind of relish they relish that being, status and, as yeah, the uh, yeah. The and, and then, the and then there's, a, yeah. and then a couple of Henry's uh, contemporaries are, are uh, you know, hard driving sort of. Edmund mm-hmm. Pendleton is one of them yeah. uh, in in Caroline County who are throwing these guys in jail, yeah. you know, because they're itinerant preachers and stuff. And uh, and Henry basically is showing up and and uh, and bailing them out. Uh, we don't we don't have real good documentation even of these even of these cases. Sometimes they ca- sometimes the uh, the cases occurred in courts that uh, lost their records in the Civil War. Uh, so there just no, isn't documentation. But what we do have is testimony from uh, some of the early, the, particularly the first uh, Baptist historian who mm-hmm. who published his history of the Virginia Baptists in uh, 1810. So it's, you know, it's, it says it's a history, but it's really a primary source. Right. And he, and, and they, they all um, uh, just, they idolized Henry for mm-hmm. his, for his early support of, of, uh, of uh, the right to, uh, you know, be dissenting uh, uh, Christians. Um, and then uh, when... Um, so why, why, why was Henry so radical in his time? Wow. I, that's a he. He had a kind of honesty and a kind of courage that I, mm-hmm. I think I sort of admire. Um, but uh, and and of course, he also had a tendency. He 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 played things really close to the chest, mm-hmm. and this you can see this particularly in the in the. Um, Period of the ratification, where you, mm. where what we've what we've got is is especially is um, is is Madison's um, letters that that tell us what's going on, and people are, and then to some extent Washington's correspondence. People are reporting to Washington of what's happening, and 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 Henry basically um, is. They're all watching him. They're listening. Some of them are afraid of him. 
yeah. you know. And so these reports are getting back about what he's doing. But he basically, you know, and, until he's until he speaks, um, you don't know what he's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that happens a lot of times. Yeah, he played it coy too. for a long. He plays yeah, that's it, right. He, he plays things real close yeah. to the vest until. And, and part of that, you know, I mean, one of the ironies of, of the guy is that because he's famous as an orator, and yet I'm convinced that the secret to his oratory and its effectiveness is that he's a, he turns out to be a really great listener. Is that right? You know, well, and, 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 and the kind of guy who uh, the, the people that grew up with him talk about how <clears throat> um, he'd basically engage in small talk. Mm-hmm. Until he had established some report, and in the process, he is figuring out where yeah, that yeah. person is. And you know, if you're if you're arguing to a jury of Virginia farmers, right. that's a pretty that's so, a pretty good trait. Well, you, I think one of the things that come through in the in the book is how um, what a successful politician as a governor uh, Henry is. I mean, the yeah. governor's role in the Virginia Constitution is incredibly weak. Yes, and. Uh, you know, and you see how awfully people like Jefferson do in that role during the crisis of yes. the war. Henry, you know, seems to really master that. Uh, yeah, that there's, post. there's 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 instances in which um, you see him exercising power. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got the authority, or he's willing to push it. Uh, and there's a number of instances in Virginia um, for him and for and for other people where basically they uh, they took action. Because it was necessary in an emergency, and then essentially went to the legislature afterwards, and and were indemnified for yeah. for for you know I I had to do this, and the legislature says yeah okay you did right. and yeah. you know, okay no problem you know but uh, yeah he's 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 a remarkably effective yeah. uh, uh, as a as a as an ex, as an executive That's yeah. interesting. and then of course is you know the, one of the things that I argued especially in the end of the book is that uh, uh, that during that governorship. Um, he he forges this really strong working relationship with with your man Washington, and that yeah. it, that it's it's interesting that uh, he, you know through the end of to the end of his life, Washington and uh, um, Henry reveres Washington. Yeah, and, let's talk about that a little bit because that came through for me in a in a new way that I hadn't really thought of. I mean, it was clear one of the nice things about Washington and Patrick Henry's story is, of course, that although. They, you know, they were on opposite sides of the Constitution. You know, Washington didn't hold a grudge. He offered him the Supreme Court justice shit. Yeah, yeah, and, all kinds of offers. You know, and all that sort of thing. And I've always, uh, you know, I didn't really know where that came from until your book really cleared that up because that's that, that old relationship yeah, yeah. and trust uh, that came yeah. through. Because that was in the midst of really some really tough times in the war. Well, and there's, as a matter of fact, A lot yeah. of people, you know, Doubting George Washington and his yeah. ability, but Henry was really uh, well, uh, crucial. And yeah, sort of yeah, because the, the the episode that really yeah. clinched it. I mean, as I, as I say, they they were working together to just basically supply Washington's army with you know with with men, with blankets, with inoculations, with gold smuggled through from New Orleans into Virginia, and you know on and on and on and on. So that that's stuff they were all doing, but then. But then Henry, as governor, gets this gets this unsigned letter, uh, basically uh, suggesting that Washington needs to be replaced. It's uh, part of that episode that's called the Conway Cabal right. going yeah. on at, at, yeah. at Mount Vernon. I mean, at uh, at uh, at Valley Forge. Um, and um, the what what I learned about these this document 
is that um, it was not a it was not intentionally uh, it, it wasn't an anonymous thing. Mm-hmm. It was just during wartime. Um, People wouldn't sign the letter for fear that it fell into enemy hands. It would be embarrassing. But if it's unsigned, it's not going to, you know, the enemy prints it in the newspaper. It's not going to have the kind of impact it has. Yeah. So, so the presumption is that um, I, I write you a letter. I don't sign it, but you recognize the handwriting, know who I, you know, and, right. and the communication works. Yeah. Trouble is, Henry didn't recognize the handwriting. Uh-huh. And so, and he, and he definitely did not agree with the notion that Washington ought to be replaced. Yeah. Um, it turns out that, you know, it, the, it was from Benjamin Rush in, uh, yeah. in Philadelphia. Um, and, um, and so Henry sends it to Send Washington. It to Washington yeah. And, and uh, you know, recurring again and again into the last years of their lives, uh, 1799, Washington refers to this episode as the mm-hmm. time in which essentially, you know, Henry had my back and I know I can trust him. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's really kind of an interesting. And then the other, the other thing is, of course, in the 1790s, in that extraordinarily nasty um, political era with the with the development of the two-party system um, there's a sense in which Washington and Henry I think share a an older vision kind of pre-party right that they, they, they really they really don't like the yeah. partisanship of of organized political parties they, yeah uh, that men they should a, rule through influence and, yeah you know yeah. worthies should yeah. dominate the yeah county and, and they, so there's this old-fashionedness that yeah. I think that they, they share, share in the 90s Interesting. yeah yeah yeah. Well, it's always a good contrast to the, what happens with the relationship with George Mason and, and George yeah. Washington. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that. Henry, you know, Henry had those lots of close voices. He he was a he was a good loser. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, Mason which was Mason, not. which that's Mason true. was not. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, there's a. Um, I'm gonna take a little drink of water here. Mm. But there's a. Um, uh, one of the, I was curious about this fallout from Mason and Washington, and there's a letter from Lund, Washington, to George Washington, written maybe maybe a month, month and a half before George Washington goes to New York to be inaugurated the president. And Lund recounts a story, <clears throat> pardon me, that, um, that uh, George Mason is at the Stratford County Courthouse um, telling everybody that George Washington paid his pre-war debts in inflated currency. Oh, no kidding. And, uh, and, and Lund, you know, kind of just kind of lays that out there. And, uh, you know, I think with, with George Washington, the one way to get on his bad side wasn't to disagree with political principles or yeah, you know, yeah. ideals. It was to accuse him of something dishonorable yeah. uh, in that fashion. And, and yeah. I think that, that, that that's the break uh, more so than the ratification oh, oh, interesting. With, uh, interesting. with Mason. was this sort of yeah. personal scandalous drama going on. And Henry never would have done anything like that. I mean, he no. always considered no. Washington as a great figure. And so, you know, you, yeah. you, yeah, you yeah. gave me a lot of clarity, your work. On, oh, that's, on that yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after, after the uh, vote for ratification in the Virginia Convention in June of uh, 1788, mm-hmm. um, Mason and a bunch of the guys who just lost, by, it was a close vote. You know, it's 10, 10, 10 votes, yeah. which means five people changed their mind and it would have gone different. But uh, so it was a close vote. And, and a bunch of them met together in the, in one of the office rooms in the, uh, in the new capital. And uh, basically we're kind of contemplating a rump report and oh, a, yeah. a minority report and stuff. And they, they invited Henry to come take the chair. Uh, yeah. and, and he gets up and he says, basically, gentlemen, we've, uh, 
we've, we've argued this and, and we lost fair and square and it's time to go home. Yeah, I mean, that's crucial. I mean, I think that's really important in the whole ratification story is sort of like, what do you do when you lose? And, yeah, yeah. And how is that yeah. play out? No, he continued to play hardball and, politics over yeah, the Bill of Rights. And, uh, you know, he, he, he and the legislature kept Madison out of the Senate, yeah. for example. It is, it's one of the remarkable things about that, that story, that it doesn't end in blood and, and, yeah. uh, and fire, yeah. even though the passions were so deep. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and yeah. Henry sounds like played a role in that in Virginia at least yeah. in that case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to wrap this baby up because we've been talking for a long time. It's too too much fun for me. Um, <laughs> what you know? Why why is um, why is Patrick Henry not in the upper pantheon of the founders? Well, he never made it. He, he, his only national office was was seventy four and seventy five when he went to the first and second continental. Well, Congress. that was an important role he played. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but you know he yeah. never. He ne- I mean, you think of all the the luminaries from Virginia, and they're either presidents or or, yeah. or John Marshall. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> either yeah. presidents or John Marshall. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing Absolutely. time with us today. Congratulations on this great book, and I encourage thank everybody you. to go out and. Take a look at it, a brand new look at the, uh, at the story life. Probably the last definitive biography that needs to be written on Patrick Henry. I hope so. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.